the question you ask yourself if you were going to do something is is this good judgment and hopefully we hired the right people so they make good calls there but what that led to was a great atmosphere on the sales floor where people aren't killing each other for leads they're not trying to snake deals they're not and it was brilliant my guest today is a senior sales leader with ClickUp Andrew Stansel, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for inviting me on. You're very welcome. Uh, Andrew, I'm detecting from your accent that you were born in the greater Dublin area. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah, I, um, I grew up out near Cabin Teeley there. Um, lived there all my, my younger years and went to school in Dublin, went to college in Dublin. So I'm, uh, yeah, been here all my life. Oh, very good. That's actually where my wife was born and spent the first few years of her life it was right. in Cabinteely yeah before they moved to Africa <laughs> you know <laughs> next door <laughs> next door yeah 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 her father was a uh, project manager with Guinness Brewery so that's where that move came from but yeah Cabinteely so good things come from Cabinteely well <laughs> well you think so anyway I suppose <laughs> yeah and, and tell me a little bit about that was it your kind of just your typical run-of-the-mill upbringing where you played out on the streets or were you, did you have some sort of a gift where you were being you know driven to classes right left and center and no it was very um very 90s uh, upbringing we uh out in the road all day every day kicking a football around and when i wasn't kicking a football on the road i was playing club football and so a lot of sport and i was younger and outside all the time and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was great. Really, really liked it out there. My family are still kind of out that direction. Now. Okay. I moved, moved away a little bit, but uh, yeah, it was great. Sounded like you have a bit of a talent for football. Ah, I don't know. I was, I enjoyed it anyway. I, I played for a very long time since I was about six years old and gave it up only about two years ago when I realised that uh, I couldn't play at the level I wanted to play anymore, you know. <laughs> so... Yeah, mm. the head was there, but the legs were were not quite anymore. But uh, yeah, it was it was great. And um, okay, tell me a little bit about then. I'm I'm interested in the transition from that young kind of young adulthood into into professional life. What were you interested in most at that? You know, when you were a teenager, what were the kind of things that were attracting you, getting your attention? Yeah, I, I, funnily enough, I had a few different things in my head. I, I went from wanting to be uh, a pilot at one stage to uh, to maybe being in the guards was another one. I did work experience in the guards and I was in transition year. Uh, you love a uniform is what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. That might be it. Uh, I love the film Top Gun, so maybe that was, that was more. Oh, point, but, uh, I have my tickets for Thursday night. Going to see it on Friday myself, so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, and then like my my dad was involved in in business. Uh, he had his own shops for a while, as well as then worked mm. in in some bigger companies. My mum was involved in law, so I I thought for a while maybe that was a route I wanted to go down. Mm. Um, so I think you're gathering from this. I basically didn't have a clue. Um, so I. Um, I went to college. I did economics in, in Trinity, which was great, but I was never going to be an economist. And then uh, when I left Trinity, it was still the the downturn. It was around 2010, so job prospects weren't weren't fantastic. No, a bit, mm. a bit earlier, 2009. So I went on and did a master's in a general business degree uh, then in, in DIT and uh, started to get more of a 
a bit of an idea around. I wanted to be in something around the sales marketing type side. Okay. So you went to Trinity, then you did a master's and then you went into sales. How much of a disappointment are you to your parents? Massively so, yeah. They, they just think I'm, I'm in a call center just annoying people all day or they don't quite get so, what i do i don't think yeah so when your parents meet their friends you know they're gonna say well you know he, he has his master still yeah <laughs> there's still hope for him uh wh why sales what attracted you to sales so I, I i actually went out of college and i started kind of a marketing job a very entry-level marketing job and I didn't like it at all but while I was mm. in the company I, I got kind of friendly with some of the directors who were on the business development side and they started to take me out to meetings and things like that and I just sat in the corner and, <laughs> and watched but I, I liked the idea of that you know uh, mm. having an actual impact on the company what what you did you could nearly stand over um, there's a big deal came in it was you you know like I, I love sport obviously so results were a big thing always in my head mm. and I loved seeing I could have a direct impact there. So mm. uh, I made a change then and went to selling ads and I loved it. I loved it. I was just, I loved the idea of you could go in in the morning and there was a competitive element. I could go in and hustle something up out of nothing, you know, just with a phone and a mm. computer and, and then you see mm. at the end of the month what you've done. So yeah, I just kind of, I fell into it to a lot of degree, but I, I really, I warmed to it very, very quickly, um, which was great. Mm. Selling ads is a tough gig. It's competitive, yeah. It was job space yeah. now, um, what we were selling. So just cold right. calling all day, every day, 50 calls a day. Uh, yeah. Along with 20 other people who were trying to do the same thing to the same companies and uh, only to Ireland at the time. So, yeah, it's yeah. tough, but it, it's a great way to get in because it's relatively transactional, but you get used to speaking to people about money. You're speaking to business owners. You're, you're starting mm. to understand why they need to hire and the problems if they don't and things like that. So, mm. Yeah, it was a great start. I, just listen to what you said. There was something that just made me think. You, you said that when you went out on these meetings with other people and observed them, but moreover, it was when you saw them winning, get the, the accolades, the, when you win at sales, how everybody treats you. Um, in that moment, you're a hero, you're a legend. You're saying that's what attracted you, that it was that sense of you're holding up the cup. You, this, is, this is the sport. And if you do it well, you get to hold up the cup. Not necessarily the, the glory or anything. I, like, I, it's a competitive element. I, I like, if there's a dashboard, I like to be the top of it. Uh, yeah. It's a team or, or me individually. But it, it's, it's more, I really like the idea of what you do today there's something tangible that can come out of it at the end that yeah. you can go but well, well, that was me you know and yeah. um i really like that yeah yeah no i get it like so it's more league format rather than knockout competition <laughs> yeah exactly. I, I i i tell you why i bring it up it was just as you were saying it resonated with something in my own experience was i was in pre-sales and again my experience was going out with the sales guys where you were going in and in pre-sales, you're doing a demo presentation. You were, in terms of the time you might have in front of a prospect, you were a good 50, 60% of it, maybe even more. They would go in and open it up and they would close it, but they got all of the, the rewards. They had the bigger cars. And when a big deal came in, they were the heroes. Hmm. And 
I have to say in me that did attract me. There's not two ways about it was uh, they were getting the, it was the recognition. It wasn't the holding the cup up so much. That's probably a, not a great analogy, but more the recognition after putting the effort in. It was kind of like a validation. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm endlessly curious about why people go into sales because it's such a tough business. And, mm. you know, actually, it was funny because in that same job, I was in pre-sales. And after that experience, I went to my boss and I said, Andy, I said, I, I want to be in sales. And he laughed and he said, it's not as easy as it looks. It, it looks easy, but until you've got a target to, to carry and you've got that pressure and performance under pressure, you don't understand it. And I, I genuinely, I did not have a clue what he was talking about at the time. Yeah. At the, at the time. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Something uh, masochistic almost did it. <laughs> well, it's not, it's not. It's because it's, it's, yeah, it's like you go into a competitive sport, that's tough as well. It's not masochistic. It's, it's just the ritual that you have to go through, I guess. Yeah, and I, yeah. I, I am quite goal-oriented. I, I like having yeah. something to go after. So the idea of you have to do this this month, yeah. go make it happen, and it's yeah. like a challenge. It's exciting. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, so, Where do you think that comes from in you, that desire to win, desire to go after a challenge? Um, I don't want to keep going on about it like I was some kind of sportsman, but like this, the sport element definitely plays into it. I, been involved in it since I was six years old. It was every mm. Saturday you're trying to win, whatever. But uh aside mm. from that, my my dad would be quite along those lines. Like he as I said, he was ran his own businesses and things like that. And he'd be mm. even when I was in school, sort of things along the lines of you know, around exams and, and things like that, you'd kind of you you're gonna do like yeah, you were to do well kind of thing. Um and then better than people around you in terms of results. Mm. So there's probably a few bits that play into it. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because even the sports itself is often as a result of something. But it's, yeah. Who were your heroes when you were younger? When I was younger, uh, mm. Tiger Woods. <laughs> Tiger Woods would be one of them. Uh, Roy Keane mm. would be another one. Uh, mm. I'm not sure how into football you were, but the Brazilian Ronaldo was another one. <laughs> but I, I don't know what My I learned head. from him, but just... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was an interesting character in terms of how he petered out at the end. So much talent. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the Roy Keane is also interesting because the whole Saipan anniversary is coming up now and people are asking, were you on, were you on team Roy or, or team, uh, what's his name? Mick. Mick, thank you, yeah. So you're team Roy. I think, I think it's easy to... You could, you could take both arguments. I don't think necessarily leaving your team in, in the lurch was the right thing to do. And I don't think the way he kind of vilified the manager is the right thing to do in any team mm. either. The way he did it, mm. I think there was a better mm. way to do it. But I also don't think he can be criticised for wanting higher standards. He, he wanted high standards. He saw the team could be better than they even thought they were if they just did it properly. And he wasn't going to drop his standards for anyone. So I don't... I don't think you can criticize him for that either, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't think what yeah. he did is necessarily right, but I can understand why he did it. Yeah. Oh, that's a good, that's a really good answer. Actually. It's quite a balanced answer. Um, I did, you know, what he did was, well, he was fired out. So I don't know. I've always found myself on team Roy. Cause I, I, I love that. I love that. What I'm attracted to is that idea of high standards and yeah. never accepting enough. It's gotta be better. It's gotta be better. 
And yeah. I also think, you know, it was, it was on Mick because Roy is not somebody who's ever going to doff the cap to anyone. He, you know, so, but anyway, that's, that's for another time. Tell me then about, um, you go back to, you were selling ads. Talk to me about your transition then from carrying a number, direct sales number to management. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I, I left the, that company and I went to, to HubSpot then as an, as an AE and I did a few mm. years there and, and thankfully that, that went quite well. And then I'd always had an interest in, in management while I was an AE. I, I was constantly kind of, once I was established, but looking for ways that I could do more than just bring the number mm. in. So I wanted to become that for my my manager, if he was on holidays or whatever, I want to do the forecast for you. I'll do your one-to-ones because I, I I was trying to challenge myself further. Mm, um, mm. And so then it came to the the, the point of getting it. And um, yeah, it was an interesting one. I think I managed to buy myself some time because it was clear as day that I'd sold before. So at least they could go, well, I can bring them on a call. <laughs> if nothing else, if he doesn't know how to manage anyone, I can bring them on a call, which bought yeah. me a bit of time yeah. while I realized that um, there was far more to the manager job than you see from, from the outside. You think it's running around yeah. doing a bit of coaching every now and again. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, what surprised you most about the role? It's a couple of things. I think, um, I think actually making change in a team was a hell of a lot more difficult and required a hell of a lot more follow-up and reinforcement and and that kind of thing than I imagined. I kind of thought maybe naively that, look, we'll go with this campaign or this strategy this month and we'll just do it. And uh, mm. it, it, it obviously doesn't work that way. So, And then working out different ways of, well, this person I can get on board doing this, like with this kind of technique and that person I need to do something different that was all a hell of a lot more complicated than I probably would have maybe given a credit for before going into the job. Um, mm. And then just the amount of things that you're managing that you just don't see if, if you're a, an individual contributor, you don't even realize they're going on. And um, there was a lot more of that. So yeah, mm. it was, uh, it was interesting once I got started. Which role gives you the greatest sense of satisfaction? Uh, the manager role. Uh, the leader out there, 100%. And what is it specifically, when you, can you, can you think <clears> of <throat> it, is what is it about the role that lifts you? There's kind of two things. It's one, and it's one of the reasons why I made the move I did to, to where I am now in ClickUp. I, um, I love the idea of going in somewhere and leaving it better than I found it. So right now we're building from the ground up. So... Mm. I'm having a lot of hands-on experience in building the processes, the sales process, the hiring, the coaching, all that. And I love the idea of in a couple of years, I can look back and go, it's in a good spot now. And I had a hand mm. in it. Um, I'd be proud of that. The other is, um, like I always took similar roles within HubSpot, grow them from, not, from say one rep to 10 and, and, and that kind of thing. I enjoy that side. But then the mm. seeing people progress through as well. Um, I really, not that you'd be taking credit for their promotions, but at least having an impact and helping them achieve mm. what they're trying to do is, is very, very rewarding, I think. Yeah, yeah, you can take satisfaction from it, from sure, and, and it's well-earned. Um, tell me, who, who inspires you a lot? 
within the business or just in general or just in general just in general yeah there's um there'd be a few people that I'd, I'd admire um so i suppose in business there'd be a couple like the, the usual ones are extremely impressive like jeff bezos from just uh how he how he's created a machine like that that just keeps growing and growing is just incredibly in- impressive. Mm. It's not necessarily maybe the people management style I go for, mm. but it is mm. the way he operationalizes a business is, is very impressive. Um, the other one, I suppose, outside of that, which is, again, the, the Pep Guardiola is a very impressive one to me, the way he's revolutionized and has just put his trademark and stamp on that. Like, and if you look at mm. his Bayern team, his Barca team, his Man City team, you can see it. And the way he gets buy-in is just incredibly impressive. Like they, they all do what he wants. And then, yeah, like I suppose they'd be two, two of the larger ones, like in, mm. in terms of that, who I'd, who I'd look to. Okay. And in, when you think back in your own personal life, somebody who'd made a huge impact on you, and, and and more importantly, why? You don't have to name them, but I'm just trying to think of what are the kind of things that have inspired you? Yeah, I'd say maybe a bit cliched. I'd say my dad in, in some aspects. Um, so he, as I said, went out on his own. He had a, a good job in, in a big company and then he decided to go out on his own and it didn't, didn't go the way he wanted it to go. And mm. uh, just watching the way, there was just the never give up get up every mm. day, get out and try and make it work. Mm. Uh, not sit around, feel sorry for yourself. No mm. excuses and full accountability for, for what happened. Like you, you win some, you lose some, it's always going to mm. happen, but it's the way you react to it. And yeah, yeah, I still, I still admire it. I don't know whether you know that or not, but I'd still admire that now. Uh, do you know what? There's nothing cliched about that at all. I think good fathers are, are fantastic that they have a, a massive impact on those around them that they don't always get credit for or don't realise, you know. I've seen credit for as in, it's just take it for granted. And, and it's yeah. one of my regrets before my father died that I never never told him that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's yeah, it's to have a huge impact. And it's a, quite a common theme actually on the podcast when I talk to people is that they'll often reference a parent and if it's a guy, it's often their father. And it's just certain values. It's not everything. Their mother was a huge, important part of their life as well. Yeah. But there's certain values as a man, I think, that and maybe that in itself is, uh, is I don't know what the right word is. It's, it feels strange, but yeah. I, th- I think what it is is that, is that, like I see it in my own family, is that as, as a reference model, my daughter looks to my wife. My son's right. look to me. Yeah. It's just because that's what's familiar to them. That's what they can see. It's an identity. And so therefore you look into that for clues as to, well, that's my father. So that's a kind of a clue as to who I want to be, assuming that that's a good, a positive role model. And so, yeah, I think there, there is a common theme in that that tends to come out. Uh, and as I said, I think they don't get enough recognition and enough thanks for, for what they do because, yeah, I do. Um, anyhow, I'm kind of saying that now because my, my own son will be listening to this when it's recorded. <laughs> you're, you're, you're looking for a few compliments on it. Uh, 100%. That's probably, I just said, you know, yeah. <laughs> marking cards. Cool. Um, I wanted to ask you, tell me a little bit then, Andrew, about 
you, being a sales leader is a remarkably time-consuming, and you said you're building things from scratch. That's relentless. I, I can't imagine how difficult that is. You can't take your eye off the ball for a second. And it's like as soon as you fix one problem, there's two more over there. Yeah. How, how, do you, how do you keep a straight head throughout that? How do you keep a balance and not kind of, yeah, not, not submit too much to that? And uh, it's, I guess what I'm, asking, I'm trying to get at is not just even so much a healthy work-life balance, but a, a kind of a, a sense of perspective because it's so easy to get sucked into it, yeah. I would imagine. It can be. Um, I've uh, I've a young baby at home who who uh, completely knocks that out of me when I walk out of the problem solved. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 she couldn't care less about the, the pipeline of the day. Yes. But no. Um, no. Look, I think I think it's a good question. I think there's a healthy balance there because it is important, right? Or else, what's the point of doing it? Um, but I think if we work to OKRs in, in, in ClickUp and we've got very clear priorities on, I have to outline what I need to do for the quarter and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think if I can look at a day and go, well, at least the things I got done, we're working towards what I'm trying to do. I can't do everything in the day. I, I can't mm. do like be on here mm. 20 hours a day. Yeah. And, but the intent is right and you're going in the right direction. That mm. helps with the... Mm because I think where the problem occurs is especially somewhere where I am now and, and even the other fast growing companies around there's noise everywhere and you can start to feel mm. overwhelmed and you can start to feel like I need to do everything and if I don't the world is going to fall in mm. um, so I think having a clear perspective about where you're going even if you get some of the stuff wrong you're looking going mm. I'm trying to do the right things you know? yeah no, no I get it I get it well yeah. It. yeah I think what and you're that, saying what, that, what that I'm hearing is balanced a bit yeah, having a clear plan documented that you can then compartmentalize and say, okay, this is for today. And if I do that, that's a successful day. Um, yeah. You know, I like that. Um, and with a six-month-old six baby, I'm guessing not a lot of time for hobbies at the moment. Not as much as I like. Try and get out for a game of golf on a Sunday, so that's about the strength of it. But uh, yeah. that's not getting any better. That's not getting any better either. So I might need to look at a new sport. <laughs> <laughs> well, all you can do is maintain that for now. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, yeah. good stuff. Um, talk to me then about on that leadership journey about some of the challenges that you've had to overcome in yourself, where you might have come up short in that you, you thought something you mentioned earlier that it you know the, the job of sales leader looks easy and then you yeah. you come into it and you realize no there's so much more to it and there there are some of those areas where you have to dig deep in yourself uh, and push through and as a result you feel different about yourself you see different you, you see yourself differently and I'm yeah. interested in that is there anything that comes to mind when you think of that aspect of growth. Yeah, uh, there'd be a couple, so I don't know how many you want me to go into, but uh, one in particular was how I handled, um, I mentioned earlier about getting people on board with say mm. a strategy or a campaign. And I definitely made mistakes with that 
and probably still do but it, i i remember a particular time we were we were really pushing to build pipeline for the summer because the territories i managed did go quiet so we were trying to really get it going in may mm. june kind of time or a bit earlier and i thought a great way to motivate them would be every day sending out going we've only done this we've only done this and like as in the activity isn't enough and i was like this will get them going i'm sure yeah that as you can as it you got can them imagine. going all right maybe but not the way you wanted <laughs> no, no and uh yeah. a, le- a lesson i learned off one of the the more senior people in there at the time said to me what what you're actually doing there is two things you're you're just sending out negative messages all day, which is never good for a team. What you're also doing is you're highlighting and giving the attention to the ones who aren't doing their job right instead of promoting that's, the good behavior. That's interesting. That's, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. So what I was advised to do and something I've taken with me since was instead of that, even if there's only one of them doing really well, you just keep trumpeting the one who's doing really well. And by definition, you're not trumpeting the ones who aren't doing what they're supposed to do and it's not yeah. calling people out or anything like that but it's just yeah i thought it was a clever way to look at it um and it's yes 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 yeah it was something i took yeah. with me so i like it. there's a lot of courage in that. okay good, good stuff yeah um, um the other one if you want me to go into yeah yeah please I, yeah I, yeah I, I, we were under pressure for hiring at one point and it was aggressive hiring targets so i and you know how competitive it is around. So I, I took the strategy of, um, I'm going to hire more junior ones, but I'll be able to get them to where we need them quick. So mm. I over, I overestimated what I could do basically. Right. And I was training them and doing all the story, but there's only so much impact mm. you can have. So that was a short term. Thankfully, most of them got there, but they got there a lot later than I kind mm. of expected. And I think that was naivety and, I don't know, maybe arrogance mm. on my point that I, I overestimated how I could get them from point A to B way quicker than maybe someone else could. And Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 well, what I would say to you on that one, Andrew, I think you'd probably overestimate it, but I don't know that it's about you and how you could have got them faster. I just think there's only a certain speed of which we can assimilate knowledge and process and adapt to new habits and you can have the best trainers the best coaches in the world and it will take the time it takes and you'll find that some people will get through that process faster and that's the difficult bit actually i would imagine managing the the tortoise and the hare you you have people coming at different rates but in terms of what you can do is i said you could be aristotle and plato rolled into one and I don't think it'll really have such an impact on yeah. how much faster they'll, they'll come through that. And so you're right, there's, a, there's an aspect of time in that. Uh, and it just it takes the time, it takes the time. It's like anything, yeah. it just takes time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell, me about some, tell me something about you, Andrew, that you reckon nobody in your workplace knows about you that they'd be surprised to hear that you're comfortable sharing with me. Something that you did, an experience that you had, somebody that you met on your travels. Yeah, something that was, you know, that kind of thing where you went home and you said to your wife, you could say, you'll never guess who I met today or like it might've been an experience. 
I think one, and it's not. Yeah, I think one that would uh, would stand out to me is I I did a lot of traveling when I was in college, uh, and we went with a couple of friends. We went around all South America, and we also did Southeast Asia another year. And I think that's been something that I also went to a school that was quite multicultural and multi denominational and things like that. And mm. I think you mentioned earlier things that have influenced me or, or in, yeah, inspired me and influenced me would be, and I think that has helped me uh, work mm. in, in, in these companies because I'm very comfortable uh, with different cultures, with different, mm. la- not, not that I can speak them, but with different languages and, and different backgrounds. And, and mm. I think it's helped me as a leadership role. I've never really managed a solely UK team. I've always had multi, countries or you know i've had ben lux middle east i've had africa i've had stuff like that it's never just the mm. uk and i think it's or ireland and it's helped me there and i don't think i realized that kind of experience and the things you see and and all mm. that actually getting in on you until i i just find it a little bit easier than maybe some others to just get mm. involved in a new group and mm. i can kind of chameleon like at times you know um mm. So, I don't know. So, yeah, I think that'd be something, yeah. Okay. Uh, tell me about the most interesting person you've ever met. Michael O'Leary. Tell Michael me about O'Leary. that. Mm. So, so we, had, um, we had the opportunity to have him speak to a small group of us in, in college when I was in there. Um, he came in a group of about 10 of us got to, got to meet him. And, um, it was like a general, he gave a bit of a presentation to begin with, but then it was just a, just a chat afterwards. And just his, uh, his business brain is, is frightening when you, you start talking to him about it, the way he thinks about things and the way he, the way he saw things nobody else saw. And also the way he'll go against the grain if, People don't necessarily agree with him, but he's he's backs himself. Um, he was just incredibly interesting. I also love the story again. It's back to the sort of building from nothing. Just that kind of thing inspires me. Like I love the the idea of it. And he came from mm. just a very very basic background to what he is now, just through mm. being very very clever, very dedicated, very clued in. Mm. Yeah, I could have sat and listened to him for hours that day. I know he's not everyone's cup of tea, um, but mm. whether you like him or you don't, he's he's extremely mm. impressive. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm, I'm I'm a big fan of his, and what I love most, I think, is there's this. I, I, it's only something that's been on my radar recently. I've been paying attention to when I meet with people is their source of validation, whether they get their validation about themselves, whether that's an internal or external. And what surprised me is how many people sense of validation is external. They care very much about what other people think about them and about getting their approval. Mm. And the minority, maybe that's 20, 30% of a population, it's internal. And he's very much in that box. He does not give a damn what people think about him. He just doesn't. No. And, and I like that. I really do. And uh, I'll tell you a very quick story about Michael O'Leary. I've never met the man. And, uh, but a, a business acquaintance of mine ran a, um, an ad agency. Uh, 
<laughs> and they did, and they did website development and things like that. So a marketing agency, I should say. Yeah. And back in the back, maybe going back twenty years now in the early days, and uh, they saw you know famously Ryanair website was built by a student, and that was for very good reason because the brand was cheap, so the website looked cheap, and that's was the website was on brand. But these guys didn't understand that. And they contacted, they wrote a letter to Michael O'Leary and said, look, we're a big admirer of yours, but we see that your website really doesn't look great and we reckon we could make it a whole, look a whole lot better. Uh, looking forward to hearing from you. <laughs> <laughs> but they did. <laughs> so they get a, a letter three or four days later and the letter was, <laughs> dear, I call the guy Dennis, dear Dennis, I will never ever, ever do business with ponytails, regards Michael. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> and that, I know, and that is so Michael O'Leary, you know, and, yeah. and I heard him on the radio years later, um, I heard him on the radio talk about consultants. And okay. if you, if you want to just have Michael hang up on you, tell him you're a consultant. He right. just has okay. this disparaging zero, zero time for what he perceives to be consultants, uh, people as he regards them as people who come in, who bayonet the dead after the war is over. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you're you're right, and uh, yeah, that was a coup actually to get somebody like that to come in and speak because those kind of things you remember forever uh, because they do yeah. make a big impact. Yeah, yeah, it was it was just how he talked about how he comes up with the strategy for the company and. He just, he's again, he's like, I don't know, like any of those great businessmen, like Steve Jobs, they just see things differently, you know, and and then they, as you said, they just back themselves to go for it, which is, is mm. extremely impressive. Mm. What's your own personal definition of success? Um, Success is to me where whatever it is you're doing, you can you can look back and look yourself in the mirror and go, I gave that everything and I committed to it and there was nothing I left on the table. And I think you can sometimes skew it by saying the result was good, but I don't think that tells all mm. the all the story all the time. But I think if you can like if I say leave wherever I am in five years, seven years, 10 years. And, and I can genuinely look back on that and go, I gave that everything I had. And I think I left better than I, I found it. That to me is success. Um, it's interesting. There's a bit of Roy Keane in that as well. Because Roy Keane, just what you said, I think Roy Keane would never be happy with winning unless, hmm. unless they won well. Meaning that yeah. if they just happened to get lucky, he wouldn't be satisfied with the win. It was, how did we play? And if we played yeah. well, then, and that's what yeah. you're saying is it's, it's about that. I think so. Because if you look at the, the role I'm in now, or mm. any sales role, our, our team could get a bluebird deal today that comes in, that blows the target away. Mm. Sure. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah, great. We'll get the commission, but can you really look there and go, we built that from zero to a hundred yeah. that month. I prefer yeah. to say, yeah, we can stand over. We know how we won. Is, is more mm. important to me. 
because mm. then if you start to go wrong, if you know how you won, you can start to adjust when you start to lose, and uh, yeah, yeah. you understand what you're doing. So, yeah. Uh, Tell me, um, yeah. what size was ClickUp when you joined them? So, probably about seven hundred or so. Okay, so it's uh, a, well established at that stage. It's only four years old, five years old. Yeah. Um, and it's only just come to EMEA in December ish. So still quite new here. It's not seven hundred in Dublin where it's still growing there, but um, yeah. yeah. And I well I, I guess where I'm really going with the question is I wanted to get a sense of where you prefer to operate. Is it in that startup growth mode or is it more operational in a larger organization? Because you've been 100%. in HubSpot, so a hundred percent this stage. I, I, I yeah. joined HubSpot when it was a similar size and I loved it. Mm. Uh, mm. I love the kind of the team element when it's that size. I love the fact that you're figuring stuff out and you, you're trying things and some work, some don't, but I love that mm. sense. And it's, it's a big part. I, part of the reason why I, I changed job is to come here and do mm. take some of the learnings that I got there. Mm. which is a phenomenal company like it's run unbelievably mm. well and to take mm. some of the learnings and bring it in somewhere new mm. just is so exciting to me tell me about some of the key values and principles that you took from hubspot that you brought with you the biggest value is and it's it's a common topic now but i think they were ahead of the game a little bit is the the culture piece um mm. they hubspot like they've they put everything into having a good culture there and and that that bled down from top to bottom and especially on a sales floor they they had a thing that you call use good judgment so they mm. they put the responsibility in the hands of of you and mm. the question you ask yourself if you were going to do something is is this good judgment and hopefully we've hired the right people so they make good calls there but what mm. that led to was a great atmosphere on the sales floor where people aren't killing each other for leads. They're not trying to snake deals. They're not. And it was brilliant. And I just think that they, I think if you build a good culture in a team, if you have a great strategy and a great process, mm. but a bad culture, the, the mm. strategy and process falls down. If you, mm. if you have great culture and great people, it starts to grow itself in some ways. And that would have been one of the biggest ones I took from it. Okay. Um, and how do you then, take that into a a start what feels like a startup organization and establish culture where you're bringing people from different backgrounds into it how do you maintain that common sense of purpose i think you i think interviewing is huge you can you can interview for a track record right which is fine you want to know people can do the job but i think you need to be looking for certain values in the people you mm. bring in that doesn't mean they have to be from a certain company or a certain age or, or whatever, it's a value. Mm. Like, so you can have people from all over the world with a similar value on things. And, and that's where I would try mm. and emphasize more bringing people in because the people make the culture, you know? So mm. if it's all well and good on these big words on the wall or whatever you want to do, but the people are the ones there every day. And yeah, focusing on the values in the people that you come in and being really, really diligent about that as, as hard as it is and as time consuming as it is, it's probably the most important thing you can do um, when you're starting out and be willing mm. to be slightly behind hiring to wait for the right one because the right one will pay you back in spades. The wrong one, you'll pay for it for two years. Um, so, 
And how do you how do you manage that line then when you're under intense pressure to hire? You mentioned earlier it might have been a different role you were in, but you mentioned that there was an intense hiring campaign. How do you yeah. ensure quality standards then? You have to. You just have. It's back to knowing where you're going again. You know, like if you've outlined here the attributes we're looking for, the values we're looking for you just have to be disciplined with it and ideally the people you're interviewing with are on the same page so you'll hold each other to account which we're doing mm. um it's mm. not easy though because you're looking at a gap and a number with this many people in seats there's pressure but i think if everyone is on the same page we're playing a long game here that yeah i can get someone in the seat but are they going to be bad for the culture they're gonna cause others who are great to leave you know like that's far more costly mm. when you you look at it longer term than just mm. let's fill a seat today to get the spreadsheet right um, mm. it's not easy though i'm not i'm not claiming to have it nailed up but uh it's mm. a it's, you have to be very very proactive about it like, yeah very thoughtful about it one of the things i've seen evolve over the last few years probably hastened by a pandemic is the practice of selling from a keyboard. Yeah. How, but I'm interested in what you see, because I, I look at that with a very, through a very different lens, and I, I'm, I don't have the inside perspective that a lot of people with teams have. And I'm curious to know what you see. Is, is that a truism? And if it is, how do you combat it? When you say selling from a keyboard, do you mean banging out emails? Zoom? Oh, banging no, well, emails. yeah, they're banging out emails rather than speaking to people, and following yeah. up in an email rather than picking the phone up to call, to, to follow up. I, I get the fact that you do, it's not always easy to reach the person you want to get to via phone, and I think that's gotten harder for different reasons. One is people are working from home; you don't have their home yeah. number. Two, I think there's a millennial, there's, certainly as you come through to the Gen Z, uh, people are more reluctant even to pick the phone up. So it's not even the person making the call, it's the person receiving it doesn't necessarily want that initial interaction at least. I get that. Yeah. And you have to accommodate that. But what can happen then is that can become the culture. Yeah. And then there's little control and all the kind of the downsides that come with that. And it can be a slippery slope. I'm wondering how do you first of all is that a truism and and if it is how do you how do you manage it I think it's I think it's the default I think it's become popular and there's there's merit in it to some degree um you can you can get to a lot of people quite quickly um with these automated tools that people use which is there's a there's a place for it but i still don't think anything beats getting on the phone as long as you can even if the first mm. email is to set up a zoom call that's fine but mm. get, get mm. on the phone because i don't think you can sell true value over over email mm. um i think you you lose a lot of control from the sales side if you're doing everything by email they can just choose not to talk to you or, or whatever mm. well what i don't have an issue with is we're not still in that thing of make 60 cold calls a day. And if you rang 60 numbers, it's okay. Cause it's pointless. Right? Mm. But, mm. uh, I think there's ways to use the more modern way that people communicate to, to still stand out. If you're just sending mm. canned emails on LinkedIn and, and whatever else, you're going to get lost. What we're trying to do a bit of it, a lot of is video. Um, mm. I think video stands out. LinkedIn video is brilliant. 
people mm. are more open to watching video now and mm. it shows you've taken a bit of time as well so mm. to answer your question if you're just going to sit there and select all and send your sequences for the day and you think that's selling it's it's not but there's a balance between what it used to be like and now that i think we all have to adapt to and, and yeah that kind of thing, so yeah oh you said sequence there <laughs> and it's a different word ever so slightly but I had in mind sequins that you sew on a on a on a dress, on a dress. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that's a funny way stuff. to sell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So 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 what you're saying is, look, there is a there is an adaptation that has to be made. It's a different world, um, but you've also got to be smart about how you do it, and that the core of selling, in other words, getting getting people curious, getting people emotionally involved. That has never changed. It's just you're using yeah. tools in a different way to achieve that. Yeah. And videos, and you're right, I think the video, when it's done well, I mean, just out of personal curiosity, because um, I did a webinar on this some time ago and I had a poll and I was asking people, but it might have been a self-selected group, but I was asking the question about how many people use video and it wasn't that many. Now, I'm going back maybe two years. And... But the reason the majority were saying is they were uncomfortable going on camera. Yeah. Maybe it's a generational thing. I don't know. What's your own experience? What do you see? What do you notice with that? The same. I think there's, like anything, there's early adopters who are going, yeah, I'll give that a try. Mm. Uh, there's the others who go, that doesn't work because they did it once and they didn't get a reply. Um, mm. But, mm. yeah, I, I, I think people are just a little can be just self-conscious around it but mm. the funny thing is i i actually believe that the the less scripted the less perfect the video is the actual the better it is for say an initial cold outreach because mm. it doesn't look canned it doesn't look like it's coming from marketing you've you've decided you're going to speak to that person and you know i, mm. I actually think that's better than mm. the perfect setup when you're sat there with a the script and all the rest of it oh yeah I, yeah I, yeah the, no i, I couldn't agree yeah They've actually done studies on that and they said that the people who, if you have a highly polished presentation type, you know, a setup, studio setup with a canned script, that you will be perceived as more competent but less trustworthy. That people, if it's an organic, like you just take your phone out and you record yeah. a video on that where there's, it's, it's seen as more authentic. Mm. Uh, which is quite interesting. I think the challenge is, is to do both. That's going to be yeah. the challenge because this is not going away anytime soon. And I know no. the, the, the pervasive method of doing video calls is to bring up somebody's LinkedIn page so it's kind of personalized and you have this little circle that kind of, you know, using Vidyard or a tool like that. But I think there's going to be a time in the not too distant future where that's just commonplace and doesn't get attention anymore and you need something mm. else. So there's going to be that creativity that we've been bringing to live calls. I think we need to bring to some of those other channels. And the other thing I think that we need to be fixing or addressing, not fixing, addressing, and I don't know how yet, is the, the, the reluctance of people to go on video. I think it comes back to what I was mentioning earlier. Again, I have no evidence, no studies for this. It's just a gut feeling I have, is that you go back to that internal versus external validation that people who worry about what other people think about them, how they're going to be judged. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is, which I, is understandable. I, yeah, are more reluctant to go on video because they're putting out more out there to be judged. Yeah. 
rather than dropping a voicemail, for example, or sending an email. Um, yeah. But uh, I don't know how you, yeah. But again, I think if you go back to all great salespeople, think of anybody you've worked with that would have been an outstanding salesperson. I would hazard a guess that they really didn't give a damn about what people really thought about them. Apart from maybe, you know, the people in their inner circle, their closest friends, their family, but they yeah. didn't care about that they were, their internal validation was strong and they didn't need anybody else's approval or acceptance. Yeah, That's, and I think again, no studies they, for that, I, but... No, but I think they also detach themselves from, from the deal or from what they're doing, you know, it's... 100%. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the, yeah. the worst salespeople get emotionally attached to deals and they cling to that one deal for six months and it's like, get over it, it's gone. Uh, <laughs> the best ones have, have, have 10 of them there and realistically yeah. they don't care which of, the, which of the 10 come in as long as they come in, you know? Yeah. And it's the same yeah. as, oh, he rejected yeah. me on the cold call. Uh, okay, I'll ring someone else. And, and that's yeah. what the best ones are like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, they treat they treat that deal like a life draft that they have to hold on to for dear life. <laughs> I yeah. know I've, I've seen that, and I've seen and I've seen people get badly burned. I'm talking two years working on a deal that then doesn't work out in the end, and and and, and it's so big, it consumes all their time, and then they're so invested in it they can't let go of it. And uh, it's it's and you're watching this in slow motion. You 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 can see it, and yeah. uh, wow, yeah. Anyhow, a uh, couple of quick questions for you, Andrew, before I let you go. Um, wanted to ask you, uh, if you were, let me ask you this one. If you were a, a minister of education, what subject would you make mandatory on the secondary school curriculum? Can I give you more than one? <laughs> or do you only want one? No, no, you can give me more than one. Um, so the B... There would be two big ones, I think. Uh, one is an actual understanding of health, fitness, nutrition. I think the way children are taught about it these days is in the Stone Age, and we're seeing it society-wide without getting into specifics, but you can see it, and I think it's terrible. Um, and also the benefits of that, not just I want to be thin or muscly, it's I the benefits that will have in your wider life, mm. your your mm. your job, your motivation, your happiness, everything will come out of that if you know how to do that properly, right? And there's a balance as well. I don't want you to mm. eat chicken and broccoli every day. But uh, that would be definitely one because I don't think it's taught properly. I don't think, I certainly leaving school didn't have any concept of nutrition really. Uh, it was mm. terrible. But anyway, sorry, I'll, I'll keep moving. The other is um, financial in intelligence uh in terms of everyone our parents necessarily maybe wouldn't have been taught that all the time or whatever so they don't understand investing they don't understand the stock market they don't understand anything around that so then they get out into the world and they start to make money or hopefully they do and they don't know what to do and mm. unless you've a a colleague or a relative or somebody who can teach you, you're at a disadvantage. Mm. And I think that that should be taught. Um, and like, it is prudent for this call, obviously, but teach them how to basically sell. 
yeah anything it doesn't because it doesn't matter if you're a lawyer a doctor or a solicitor or whatever you still have to do sell your services and the other one sorry just before you do finish the, the, the you mentioned it yourself that, that i think and i was listening to i don't know if you ever listened to the stephen bartlett podcast he had simon sinek on it this week and he made a great point yeah he i'm going to copy him when what and i talk about a subject that he, you should have uh communication and how to have difficult conversations um, okay, is is what he believes children should be taught how to do. Give constructive feedback. Say when you don't think something is right, even though it, the other person might not be happy about it. I don't mm. think a lot of people are able to. I'm still working on how to do it myself, so I'm not saying no one can do it, and I can. But yeah, 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 that's something that would help you remarkably in your career, no matter what you do as well. Yeah, um, for sure. I, I love think. that. I I love that, and I think it's getting harder and harder to have difficult conversations. Or more importantly, I think conversations have more societal boundaries in terms of what you can and can't discuss which makes it more difficult yeah. to have yeah. those conversations for sure good stuff yeah. final two very quick questions before i let you go um sure the my, my desert island question which is uh your house is burning down your family are safe your any pets you have are safe your phone and your computer all safe you have time to run back in and grab one item what would it be and why what would it be and why there's a very sentimental one here. There's a, a very sort of special picture to me of the, the first holiday we went on with uh, our baby and there's the three of us on on the beach uh, where we were. And um, yeah, it's in the front room. And I think, yeah, I'd go and take that. Lovely. I love it. I love it. Final question. When your time on this planet is done and uh, there's a, a statue erected in your honour, what would you like the plaque to say about you? I always felt better after talking to him. I hope that 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 is that is unique. I like it. Made me feel better. I love. Okay, good stuff. Perfect place to leave right, it. Well, if the plaque is about me, maybe that's not the answer. But but no, 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 no. That's so, it. It's 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 how how people regard you and and how you want to be remembered is another way of of, of saying the same yeah. thing. Is how would you like to be remembered? Uh, what's the story that, uh, of your life? I'd have a yeah. if. If you were close to me or around me, that you'd, you'd be better for it after meeting me would be yeah. what I'd yeah. like to be remembered at. That goes back to that old adage, they'll never remember what you said, they'll always remember how you made them feel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. love it. I think. Cool. Andrew Stansel, thank you so much for being my guest on the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Paul. I really enjoyed that. Thank you.